She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Well, hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I am Sarah Gorski. I'm Sam Eggers. I am Chloe Skye. And I am bringing you one of the most badass broads, you guys. I'm so pumped. She's a political broad. Uh, have you guys heard of Shirley Chisholm? No. I, th- I saw a post about her on Instagram this week, but it was very, very light on details. Well, that's great, because I'm going to fill in all the details for you, Justin. Excellent. she is a fantastic broad. Um, I don't want to start with a summary. I'm going to, like, lead to it this time, listeners. So so strap in for the ride, and let's dig in to Shirley Chisholm. So Shirley was born Shirley Anita St. Hill on November 30th, 1924, in Brooklyn, New York. Her father was from British Guiana and her mother from Barbados, so they were both immigrants. She had three younger sisters, and her mother was really struggling to care for her and work full-time. So at one point, they just ship all the kids to live with her mother in Barbados, their their grandmother, Emmeline Seal. So they lived on their grandmother's farm in the, they say, the Vauxhall Village in Christchurch. And while she was there, she attended a strict British-style one-room schoolhouse that took education very seriously, in quote marks, very seriously. Uh, Later on in her life, she'd say, quote, years later, I would know what an important gift my parents had given me by seeing to it that I had my early education in the strict, traditional British-style schools of Barbados. If I speak and write easily now, that early education is the main reason. A little preview, because education is a part of what she does. Uh, so she is returned back to Brooklyn in 1934, so she's 10 years old at this point. But at that point, she always kind of considered herself a Barbadian American because uh, of her time there. So she was there in like her these very formative young years. Uh, she also said of her grandmother that, quote, Granny gave me strength, dignity, and love. I learned from an early age that I was somebody. I didn't need the Black Revolution to tell me that. I love that quote. Uh, and then she is back in Brooklyn. Uh, So after Barbados, and she goes to an integrated girls' school, and eventually uh, she gets her Bachelor of Arts from Brooklyn College in 1946. And she gets a uh, a bunch of awards for her debating. Uh, She was a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority, uh, and she was also a member of the Harriet Tubman Society, uh, which that organization advocated for inclusion, integration of black soldiers in the military during World War II, and then the addition of courses that focused on African-American history uh, and the involvement of more women in the student government body. So right, kind of from an early age, she was very, very into to politics. And it's worth noting that it didn't just happen in politics. Her dad also was heavily involved with the trade union. Um, and at the time when she was in Barbados, there's a lot of workers and anti-colonial independence movements going on. So she kind of witnessed a lot of this kind of political activity and she kind of caught the bug. And so in the late 1940s, she she meets Conrad Chisholm and they marry in 1949. He's a, he was a PI. He's a private investigator. How about so that? cool. <laughs> 
And she, uh, Shirley teaches in nursery school uh, while she is earning her MA in elementary education at Columbia University. And then she works in several different leadership positions at different nursery schools and daycares. And she becomes locally known in her area of Brooklyn as kind of an authority on early education and child welfare. Uh, And at the same time, she starts volunteering for a bunch of political clubs in Brooklyn. Um, And at that time, most of them were, actually, I think all of them were were pretty white dominant. Uh, And they had, what were the names? They were the the Brooklyn Democratic Clubs, the Bedford Stews. I can't can't say this. Do you guys know New York better than me? Bedford? Bedford Stuy. Bedford Stuyvesant. Yeah, Yeah, Bedford Stuyvesant. Sam, swoop it in to save the day. (laughs) Try. I try. So the Bedford Stuyvesant Political League and the League of Women Voters. Uh, So she works with all those organizations. And she was also a representative of the Brooklyn branch of the National Association of College Women. Um, And in all the political organizations she was involved with at the time and throughout her life, she really was seeking to make really meaningful changes to the structure and the makeup of the organizations, and specifically the Brooklyn Democratic Clubs, which were so white, she was really trying to recruit in more people of color. Uh, And they were in the 17th district was where she was. So she was really trying to help increase the diversity of the Democratic Party at that time. And she becomes a Democratic member of the New York State Assembly in 1965. Uh, And she serves uh, three years from 1968, sitting in the 175th, 76th, and 177th New York State Legislatures. Uh, One of her very early activities when she was in the Assembly was to argue against the state's literacy test, which was requiring English. Um, And she, she said that when she was fighting against this, she said, quote, Um, just because a person functions better in his native language is no sign a person is illiterate. Is this a literacy test for voting that you had to take? Yes. Yeah. It's like voting rights. Oh, okay. So she's kicking ass in in the uh, New York State Assembly. Uh, And in May of 1965, she gets an honor for for um, a salute to women doers. In early 1966, she becomes a leader in a push by the statewide Council of Electred, Elected Negro Democrats for black representation on key committees in the assembly. And then in 1968, she uplevels and she runs for the U.S. House of Representatives for New York's 12th Congressional District. So what is interesting about that race is that the district had just been, this is going to be like politically nerdy. So (laughs) if you are a political nerd, get super excited. If you're not a political nerd, just hang on. It's not going to be like this forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So at that time, the New uh, New York's 12th district had just been redrawn. Um, to be a little more representative of the community it was actually um, representing. And so the redraw meant that kind of everybody was anticipating that the new representative was going to be black because that neighborhood was specifically black and the way it had been drawn before kind of like was all messed up, right? So the white incumbent in the race is running in a different district now. And there were all these new, like black politicians coming in and running for office. Her her campaign motto, her campaign slogan was unbought and unbossed. Ooh, that's good. That's I good one. love it. I love it. Uh, and she wins the primary. She Yay. defeats she defeats her two other black opponents for the Democratic primary. 
And then in the general election, there's this huge upset because she defeats the Republican uh, who he, he, well, he wasn't a Republican. Actually, technically, he was running as the Liberal Party, but backed by the Republican Party. His name was, his name was James Farmer, J- James L. Farmer Jr. And he was the former director of the Congress of Racial Equality. So he was, like, very expected to win because he's this, like, you know, little local celeb. And she not only beats him, but she defeats him by a two-to-one margin. Ooh, apparently he wasn't unbought wow. and unbossed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some of the stories I was reading were talking about how she just like had like a megaphone out her car window, just driving around the neighborhood and just like <laughs> shouting out her truths. And she nailed it, two to one margin. Amazing. And she becomes the first black woman elected to Congress and the only woman in the freshman class of that particular year of Congress. Wow. Ooh. Rad as fuck, right? And which year? Can you say the year again? 1968. 68. 68. Wow. But then, right, so she's elected, she's super pumped, but right away she gets assigned to the House Agricultural Committee. (laughs) Mm. And she's like, "Uh, I represent fucking urban New York, Brooklyn. (laughs) Why the fuck am I on the Agricultural Committee? And she was super frustrated about it. She's like, why am I on this committee? Um, And she, uh, she's kind of like bitching and moaning. I actually didn't know this guy. Uh, Rabbi Menachem Mendel. Have you heard of his name before? No. Mendel. Oh, wait, sorry. I didn't say his whole name. Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. He apparently is this huge, huge leader of the period, um, particularly, I think, of uh, the Jewish community. But he was this um, this big activist. And she goes to him and she's like, I can't believe I'm on this committee. And he's like, well, maybe you can see if you can use the extra food, like the surplus and feed your people or something like that. And she was like, hmm, maybe I can. <laughs> So what she's able to do is she's able to use her, pos- her position on the committee to help expand the food stamp program. Oh, cool. Nice. Which is kind of crazy, right? And then she goes on and she's able to create the special supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children, which is more commonly known as WIC, W-I-C. I'm cool. sure you guys seen that. Oh, mm-hmm. I've definitely seen that. Yeah, which still exists today. That still today is helping feed families. Talk about turning lemons into lemonade. Yeah. Or agriculture into helping your community. (laughs) Right? Uh, And then finally, after all this, after spending her time on the Agricultural Committee, she's also placed on the Veterans Affairs Committee, which was like another leg up, not the lowest of the low committees. And then finally, after some wheeling and dealing and supporting some fellow Dems, she is finally assigned to the, the Education and Labor Committee, which had really been her goal kind of all along. She's like, this is what I do. This is where I want to be. She finally gets there. Um, and the, time, the whole time she's in office, the whole time that she is in Congress, her entire staff that she hires is all women. Half of them are black women. Got to bring people in who actually know what we're fighting against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, I have like a, a short punch list of the things she does when she's holding this office. So other things she does, she helps found the Congressional Black Caucus in 1971. She's a founding member of the National Women's Political Caucus. 
She introduces a bill to provide $10 billion in federal funds for child care services in 1975. It did not, however, pass because Nixon vetoed it, saying it was too expensive and, quote, <laughs> would undermine the institution of the family. Oh, <laughs> yeah. of course. That God, sounds, that sounds like Nixon. Big shocker there. <laughs> and then in the 95th and 96th Congress, um, Shirley is elected secretary of the House Democratic Caucus, which is a huge leadership position uh, for the Democrats. And then, this is the biggest thing she's known for. On January 25th, 1972, I'm going to play this clip for you guys because it's just like too good. I just don't want to summarize it. As a candidate for the Democratic nomination for the presidency of the United States of America. Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. Hell yeah. I'm going to make you listen to the next part, too, because it's rad. I am not the candidate of black America, although I am black and proud. I am not the candidate of the women's movement of this country. Although I am a woman, and I'm equally proud of that. I am not the candidate of any political bosses or fat cats or special interests. I stand here now without endorsement from many big-name politicians or celebrities or any other kind of prop. I do not intend to offer to you the tired and glib cliches which for too long have been accepted part of our political life. I am the candidate of the people of America. Yes. So she announces her bid for president of the United States. Well, where do I vote? That was a great speech. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> Um, she is the first black major party candidate to run for president, and she's the first woman to run on the Democratic ticket. There was one woman who had run on a Republican ticket previously. Is you um, say, what year was this? This was in 1972. Wow. What year did the Republican woman run, do you know? Oh, I can look it up. I still have the tab open. Okay, I found it. It's uh, so um, U.S. Senator Margaret Chase Smith had previously run for the Republican presidential nomination in 1964. Okay. So like eight years before this. Mm-hmm. So um, recently. There had been a, re- but she was a Republican, not Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that it, was when Republican Party was like more or less the current Republican Party, not like back when Lincoln was a Republican and it was sort right. of a different party. Yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't the Republican Party of today, for sure. Not exactly, well, not exactly, <laughs> but but it's like their beliefs more or less aligned with the direction they want the country to go in. It, yes, yes, pretty much. Um, and and Shirley is not like she is not like some golden goddess of the Democratic Party. Like the the Democratic Party didn't actually even want her to run. <laughs> they like of course they, yeah they were much more interested. Democratic in Party is white supremacist too. And they were waiting and waiting to figure out who they were gonna kind of like nominate as their kind of golden boy. And she was like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna fucking run." So she just does it. Um, Because she's got the experience, she's got the know-how, but she's super underfunded. So her whole campaign, 
The entire campaign ends up spending only $300,000. Oh, my God. Wow. By, just by contrast, and I know obviously that was, this is like 50 years ago, but Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign spent $768 million. God. That is quite different. <laughs> so she was like super grassroots, super DIY. She was like really kind of just doing it herself with the people that believed in her. And the Democratic Party kind of like ignored her. Um, and even her, her black male colleagues, they failed to show a lot of support. Um, there was a quote um, later on. She said, quote, when I ran for Congress, when I ran for president, I met more discrimination as a woman than for being black. Men are men, end quote. Wow. Uh, and in particular, she expressed a lot of frustration about the, quote, black matriarch thing. Um, she said, they, th- uh, they think I'm trying to take power from them. The black man must step forward, but that doesn't mean the black woman must step back. Um, interestingly enough, feminists were also split on her. They kind of did not rally behind her. Gloria Steinem backed her rival candidate. What? Wow. It was like this like super feminist stab in the back for her. Like, fuck you, Gloria. Come on. White feminists, God. Was there, like, uh, was there any explanation? Like, I wonder why she didn't support her, like, if she gave a a specific reason. You know, I didn't find it in my research. Maybe it exists out there in some more of the, like, heavier feminist literature. I was kind Mm -hmm. of reading just more of the general histories of uh, Shirley's history. If she just backed her rival... I imagine most of what she said would have been just positive towards that person. Yeah, you're than probably right. Negative towards Chisholm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm just like so grateful to be in an era where we're moving towards intersectional feminism and not this like insane, yeah. weird, white centric feminism. It's just, when I when I read all these things in our history, like I mean, this happens like almost every broad that was involved in the feminist movement that's not a white woman. It's just like. It's so heartbreaking to read these um, and to read that happen. So there's this really awesome story about when she's running for president, I want to tell. So one of her opposition candidates was George Wallace, the governor from Alabama. Uh, And he is, there is an assassination attempt on Wallace's life during the campaign. He's shot five times uh, and he is left paralyzed from the waist down the rest of his life. Now, Wallace, however, was like, they call him, Wikipedia calls him, quote, a semi-reformed segregationist who ran an openly racist campaign. I was about to say, was he ever ever semi-reformed? That sounds like very, very gracious. (laughs) That sounds like like a kind thing to say about someone who clearly... Yeah. appears to be super racist. Yeah, Wallace was kind of a piece of shit, right? I don't think I'm yeah. stepping out of turn by saying that. Like a, <laughs> a racist piece of shit. But Shirley's like, dude, that fucking sucks that this dude got shot. And she's like, I want to support this guy. And much to like everyone around her is like completely shocked, she visits him in the hospital where he's recovering. And there's a, there's a quote from this intern, Robert Gottlieb, that was working for her at the time. And he says, quote, thinking about it then and now, that says everything you need to know about her. She did not agree with anything Wallace stood for. There's no question about that. But she understood that if you really care about the country and you want to affect change, you have to embrace everybody. She was a true human being of sensitivity and commitment. And when he was shot, 
He was a human being in pain, and she wasn't going to turn her back on him. Wow. I, oh, amazing. And then later, uh, later, Shirley's talking about the visit, and she said, quote, I couldn't stay long because he was very ill, and the doctors told me, Congresswoman, you have to leave him. And he held onto my hand so tightly, he didn't want me to go. The super awesome, like, fast forward this story is that later on in their careers, Wallace because uh, he was still a Democrat, even though he was a racist piece of shit, um, he would end up being a key figure in helping her get enough votes on a bill that was going to give domestic workers the right to a minimum wage. So she was in this position later on where she was trying to pass this legislation, and Wallace like rallied for her and helped her get the votes she needed. Which I just like, I just love. It's like this heartwarming story of somebody opening their heart to this racist piece of shit and, and like and like kind of like turning i don't know that she changed him from being a racist but certainly like crossing crossing those lines and bringing somebody into your heart and showing them support and in return getting their support when you need it most which i thought was really awesome mm-hmm. um so that was all that that hospital visit happened during the campaign um and despite her super super underdog status at the 1972 Democratic National Convention, she comes in fourth with 152 delegates. And she, uh, so she doesn't win. She does not get the nomination. Um, uh, but she would say later that she ran for office, quote, in spite of hopeless odds to demonstrate the sheer will and refusal to accept the status quo, end quote. Man, you have to have so much energy and just stamina and to be able to withstand going through that process even when yeah. she knows, you know, you're up against just like incredible odds. It's incredible, incredible odds. And with so little support from like her fellow colleagues, both black and female, like she just did it. And, and yeah, when no one wanted her to, and she still did really coming in fourth with 152 delegates is doing really well. <laughs> um, yeah, that's huge. So she doesn't win, but she still has her seat in Congress. So she, she still goes on and passes a bunch of legislation um, she leaves Congress in uh, 1982. She goes. Um, she takes on a professor position at Mount Holyoke, uh, and she speaks. She's a guest speaker at over 150 colleges. Um, she told students to avoid polarization and intolerance, and she taught them. Uh, in one of her speeches, she said, "Quote: If you don't accept others who are different, it means nothing that you've learned calculus." End quote. She also ended up campaigning for Jesse Jackson when he ran for president. Uh, and she also helped to form uh, the African-American Women for Reproductive Freedom. Uh, She retired in 1991 to Florida, and in 1993, President Clinton, Bill Clinton, nominated her to be the U.S. ambassador to Jamaica, but at that point, her health wasn't doing great, so she kind of withdrew. Her nomination was withdrawn because she didn't want to serve. And the very same year, she's inducted to the National Women's Hall of Fame, uh, and then in, uh, on January 1st, on the new year, 2005, she suffers uh, several strokes and she dies. But in 2015, she was posthumously awarded the, the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom by Obama and inscribed on her vault reads, unbought and unbossed. Oh, oh nice. What do you guys think? Is she abroad? Oh, total I mean, broad. Yes. <laughs> Total broad. Total broad. She's a bomb. I had no, I hadn't, I have to be honest with you, I hadn't even heard of her before. And 
I, I just want to like give a shout out to Black Power Bootcamp. I signed up for this Black Power Bootcamp that's been introducing me to all these amazing black women. And they introduced me to Shirley. I had never heard of her. And I just can't even believe that, that I had never heard of this broad because she's so great. Yeah, so, that's amazing. So cool. Well, while we were, um, I did a quick search of Gloria Steinem and Shirley Chisholm because I wanted to see what went down. Mm. Uh, so, Still. okay. So there is a New York <laughs> Times article published by that Gloria Steinem wrote, and the title is "I Did Not Abandon Shirley Chisholm," but the paywall. <laughs> <laughs> But the, <laughs> but the damn paywall damn. hit me, and so I can't read it. But um, that paywall curses me every day. I'm, I'm like, me too. Oh. <laughs> so, but but now I'm like, oh, I so want to hear what she has to say. <laughs> but like, I don't like trust Gloria Steinem. Not like, I'm like pretty sure that she did. <laughs> no matter what her articles, <laughs> <laughs> right? Well. That is all I have to say about Shirley Chisholm. So um, awesome. thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you again next week for another Broad You Should Know. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you want to support Broads You Should Know, you should leave us a review on iTunes or tell your friends, follow, subscribe, etc., etc. Uh, you also can reach out to us on Instagram at Broads You Should Know, or you can email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Also, come visit us at broadsyoushouldknow.com because we actually have... Um, an online database of all the broads and you can search through all of these amazing badass women that we have talked about so far and come uh, get your badass woman fix at broadsyoushouldknow.com.